If you remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 42, we're going to be reading Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. I think you'll see tonight that these are twin psalms and are meant to be together, and we will be studying them together both tonight as well as when we gather together again. Psalm 42, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I go at the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Now I'll praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. There was a very thought-provoking article that I read several years ago, the title of which was, What Do Miserable Christians Sing? Now, notice what I said and what I didn't say. I did not say, what do Christians sing miserably, which we do quite well, but rather, what do miserable Christians sing? Meaning that songs that Christians are to sing, is there or are there any songs when life is not so joyful? In fact, when life is unfair and cruel and even downright evil, when we are suffering, and when we are sufferers, what can we sing, or perhaps what can we pray when we are going through such times as this? Because it often seems like Christian songs only demonstrate one emotion, and that is of happiness and of joy. And statistics actually bear this out. There was an article, it's actually written by a secular magazine, which was entitled, The Sun is Always Shining in Modern Christian Music. 
and it analyzed the lyrics of contemporary Christian music. And the words of life, words like life and love and grace and joy, were used five times more than words like death and sin and fear and sorrow. And some might want to argue, well, of course, we celebrate the the triumphs and the victory of Christ, which is true. But that overemphasis might seem like we are in heaven already, that God has already ushered in the new heavens and the new earth, and that the Christian only experiences victory in this life. But we know that that is not reality, is it? Yes, we do have victory. We have ultimate victory over death and the grave, as we will celebrate here in a few weeks with Easter coming. But in this life, there are a lot of defeats. There are a lot of losses. There's a lot of hurts and pains. And sometimes life beats you down. And you have nothing more. You have nothing to offer. In fact, it's hard, perhaps, even to offer up prayers, let alone sing. And so what do we do during times like that? Do we just put on a happy, smiley face and pretend all is right? Can we publicly admit sorrow and anguish? Can we say that we have anger with the circumstances of life or even with God himself? Or could we even admit that we are downright depressed. I think all of us would have some fear and phobia of even doing that publicly because we would think, well, what would others think of me? Won't they think that they might wonder what is wrong with me? Or even say that such sorrow or such depression is sin and it is sinful. And so I ask the question, what do miserable Christians sing. Well, this psalm tells us that miserable Christians sing and pray the psalms. Here in the middle of the Bible, the Bible that God has given to us, we have a divine hymn book, a divine prayer book, many of which are laments. Why laments? Because life is not always happy and rosy. Sometimes it just plain stinks. And the good news is that we do not need to stuff those emotions. We do not need to remain quiet, that we have prayers that can be prayed and songs that can be sung, even and especially in times of misery. You've heard it said, and yet it is so true that Calvin said that the Psalms are the whole anatomy of the soul, meaning that there is not one feeling, there's not one thought, not one experience that is not captured by at least one Psalm, if not a multitude of them. And so too, there are times in our life, and what we see in the life of the psalmist, that there are times of despair, that there are times of darkness. There is even depression, that this is real. And if that is you, or if that has been you, then Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 is for you. 
These are two psalms, often called couple psalms, because they go together, perhaps at one time were together, but by God's grace, I think they are meant to keep us together when we feel like we are coming apart at the seams, when we experience whole life depression, or to say it another way, when we are wholly depressed or in a whole depressed. And so Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 helps us to think and navigate this as a believer. Lord willing, tonight I want to look at the the cause and the effects. And then when we gather together again on Sunday evening to look at the remedies and the relief. But first, the, the cause and the effects. And what we see first is the affliction of the whole person. As we begin this psalm, we are perhaps very familiar with that opening phrase. As deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Upon initial reading of that, it sounds pleasant. It sounds soothing. Often these words are taken out of context and used in such a way that they would be a good verse perhaps for a hallmark greeting card. You might want to read them and say in the words of the church lady from the old Saturday Night Live skit, well, isn't that special? Admittedly so, they do sound special. They sound in a way that we would say is a very tranquil scene of a deer, as we would imagine it, peacefully standing at the creek drinking water peacefully, maybe a few birds perched over its head and this perfect sun coming in from the side. But when you read it in context, it's not quite that way, is it? It says that my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you. When shall I come and appear before God? For my tears have been my food day and night. While they say all the day long, where is your God? You see, when you read it in the context, you realize that this deer panting for flowing streams is not this tranquil scene that we often think it is, but rather it is a panic scene. It's a deer frightened perhaps on the run, wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth keeping on? Perhaps it is being chased. Perhaps it is almost prey by another predator. And yet this deer is longing for those peaceful flowing streams, anything that would quench, anything that would calm. And that is what the psalmist sees. The psalmist comes to God knowing that it is only God that can give that quenching. It is only God that can calm his beating heart, his panting soul, his spirit that seems so exhausted and life seemingly fading away. And yet, what does he see? that God seems quite far away, distant. 
quiets even, not coming to his aid or to his rescue. When shall I come and appear before God? When shall I find that calm? When shall I find that sanctuary, that rest in God? When again will I drink from those flowing streams, those calm waters that can alone quench my soul's thirst? That verse, when shall I come and appear for God, rightfully could be translated, when can I come, when can I enter in and see the face of God? Now that phrase, face of God, is very specific, is it not? You've heard it often at the end of the service, in the benediction. In Numbers 6, 24, the ironic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to give you peace. It's a blessing that the psalmist would have known well. Why? Because this psalm, as you see at the very beginning in the inscription, was written by the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah were priests. In other words, they were the ones that would have given this blessing. They would have pronounced this blessing upon the people. And so this psalmist, this priest is saying, but Lord, when shall I see the blessing of God? When shall I see your face shining upon me? When shall I understand this peace? Because right now all I see is darkness. All I see is affliction. All I see is turmoil of a heart and a mind and a soul. But as you read through this, you might ask, what is causing this darkness? What is causing this despair, this depression? And it's hard to say. You don't know if it was brought on by himself because of his own sin or he is the innocent sufferer. We see things of the oppression of the enemy and those that are mocking and those that are taunting and those that, as he says, that he would have God defend his cause against an ungodly people. We don't know the cause, but we do see the results. We see the effect. We see a man that is weary, fatigued, depressed, downcast, of face and of mind. And one might ask, well, is this physical depression? Is it mental? Is it spiritual? Is it emotion? And I would say, yes. It is all of those things. And this affects so many. It is oftentimes our lot in life. We could even say it is life under the sun, as the preacher says in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it can be caused by many, many different surface, uh, many different reasons. But all are seeking the same. All are seeking relief. And oftentimes, for us in this day and age, that comes in the form of a pill, antidepressants and painkillers and drugs and alcohol are oftentimes used to, to numb this feeling of despair and of depression. People often ask me, am I against such drugs, the legal ones, obviously, the pharmaceutical ones? 
And obviously that is a loaded question, and my first response is always, well, no, I'm not against it because I understand that there is a physical and chemical component to depression. But I would also say to that that it is not exclusively physical or chemical. Therefore, one should not think that a pill is going to be a cure-all. Rather, we need to see and have much more of a holistic view of ourselves, that we are not just physical, chemical beings. We are that, but we are also emotional and spiritual beings as well, and all of those things must be addressed. Many of you know that my wife is a health and wellness coach, and so that means that she does help people with diets and getting more exercise, which is helpful, but it is much more than that, much, much more than that. Why? Because health is more than just what is physical. Wellness is more than what is just going on bodily. I think we would all agree to that, that there is a mental and spiritual and emotional health and wellness that is needed. And those things are all connected. They're all interconnected. And so you know that children's song, that your hip bone is connected to your backbone and your backbone is connected to your shoulder bone. I think we also need a song that says your physical health is connected to your mental health and your mental health is connected to your spiritual health because it is, it is all interconnected. And it's like a thread in your sweater or on your jacket. If you begin to pull one thread, it begins to affect the whole of that garment. And we are indeed affected wholly. And so again, what is the cause of the psalmist's depression? What is the cause of our own depression? Is it external? Yes, it might be, but it is surely internal. It is a chain reaction, a cascading effect. As one aspect is affected, it affects the whole. And what is the worst part of it? I would say all of it, because we are whole people. We are affected wholly. And when affliction hits like it does or did with this psalmist and affects every part, what is it that is affected? Well, we see that in this psalm, don't we? First of all, we see that there are many questions, questions of the mind. This psalm, as we went through it, perhaps you noticed that is full of questions. End of verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? End of verse 3, where is your God? Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? End of verse 10, where is your God? Verse 2 of Psalm 43, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And then the oft-repeated question that is the chorus of this psalm is why are you downcast O my soul why are you in turmoil within me you might even go as far to say that there are more questions in this psalm than there are answers or questions without many answers and each question is like an 
arrow. It's like a dagger. It's an assault of the mind. And if you've ever gone through a time like this in your life where there is darkness, where there is despair, you know that those questions are ever present. And just as the psalmist would ask, or those outside of the psalmist are asking, and he himself no doubt is asking, where is your God? Where are you, God? The God that is all-knowing, the God that is ever-present, where is he? Where are you? You seem distant, you seem quiet, you seem far off. And so often in this state, we feel isolated and left alone. We feel like we are in a dark pit with no one around, and only ourselves, and only our thoughts. And it is in the midst of that darkness that the world and the devil and the flesh love to plant such ideas in our minds. And ask that question, where is your God now? If he is all loving, how is this loving? If he is a provider and a caretaker, how are you being provided and cared for in this situation? If he is all powerful, could he not remove this or take it away? Where is he? Perhaps he is not the God that you thought that he was. Perhaps he is not God at all. And like I said, those questions become thorns and daggers. They become roadblocks to spiritual progress. They block out the light of God and even the truth of God. And oftentimes in those situations, they are not easily answered, are they? They mock and they ridicule us and they make us feel ashamed that we would even name the name of God. And at times we even wonder, are they right? Have we foolishly followed such a God? Have we foolishly placed our faith and trust in such a one that would allow us to go through such a situation as this? If we are his children, how would he treat his children this way? And it puts tension on what you know theologically and yet what you experience experientially. And those times, those things often seem at odds with each other. And as a result, as I said, then those lies begin to creep in. And you see that even with this psalmist when he says, why have you forgotten me? That is an indictment. That is saying, Lord, you have forgotten me, or it seems that you have forgotten me. In Isaiah 49, this is what the people were saying the people of Israel, the people of Zion. They said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And Isaiah has this wonderful analogy. He poses this question to them. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child that she has born? And then Isaiah goes on to say, if that is even possible, which any mother in here would say it is not possible, then yet, if it was possible, God says, I would not 
forget you. And so can the all-knowing, all-caring God forget one of his own? Not more than a mother could forget her nursing child, but even if that was the case, the Lord, of course, would not forget. And again, we know that to be true. And yet, at the same time, we can feel those feelings of abandonment and being forsaken and being orphaned. Having our mind being filled with questions. But we see even more than that, don't we? We see our mind being filled with questions, but we also see our heart being filled with sorrow or sorrow of heart. And you see that in this psalm as well. You see the emotions of a a broken and beat down heart. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. You have no sense of hunger. Why? Because it is only weeping. Tears until there are no more tears to cry. And tears, what are those? They are just an overflow of the heart, aren't they? And if you think about it, we all hate to cry. At least this stoic Dutchman does. But it is quite a mercy of our God to be able to cry because why? Well, it's far better than our hearts exploding with excess sorrow and tears. Our tears are kind of that release valve for our hearts. That pressure. We have one of those pressure pots at our home. And we put it in there and it cooks by cooking with a lot of pressure. And then finally when it's done, you you flip it off and the steam comes out. The pressure is released. And it oftentimes is the, the tears and the sorrow that we experience. It is allowing that pressure that is within us to, to come on the outside of us. So it's not just all balled up, but yet it is that sorrow of heart. The psalmist says in verse 4, that I remember as I pour out my soul, of days of old, when I would go with the throng, as I would lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and a multitude-keeping festival. He says, I remember days of old when it was good days. It was wonderful days. It was days full of joy and full of praise. And I would be in the house of God, and I was so glad. And yet, now that seems so far away. It seems foreign. I'm not able to to give that or not able to do that. I feel far removed from that joyful throng. Not able to, to give that praise like you would want to because your heart feels like it cannot. And perhaps during times of sorrow and darkness, you've had times like that. When you think of happier days and think about, oh, I was... So happy then, but I didn't even realize it. I didn't even know how good I had it. And that is an extra sting, isn't it? Because you think how I would long to be in that state again, to be happy and to be carefree. Perhaps you you see photos of yourself of yesteryear and you want to speak to yourself and say, enjoy that, enjoy that moment, savor it in, soak it in. Don't let it pass you by as you long for happier 
days. Verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It's the roller coaster of emotions. Like being in the ocean. Wave after wave hitting you. And just when you feel like you're getting your footing, just as you're beginning to catch your breath, you feel like another wave just pushes you down again and buries you underneath. And so not only is there questions of the mind, there's sorrow of the heart. But we also see one other aspect, and that is depression of the soul. The soul is mentioned several times in this passage. It's verse 1. As the deer pants for flowing water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then that question in the chorus, why are you downcast, O my soul? What is the soul? Well, we can't point to it, can we? Like we could point to our liver or like we could point to our kidney. But the soul is the essence of who we are, the core of our existence. It's that which takes our our physical being as well as our mental and emotional and spiritual being. And it is all of those things together. It's not one individually, but it's the whole of us. That is our soul. Our soul is that which is everlasting. It is immortal. It's what makes us different than the animals. It's part of being made in the image of God. It's the part of that God likeness that he has conveyed upon us. But when the psalmist asks, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you downtrodden? Why are you depressed in the the core of who you are? In the very being of your bones, it seems. You know that there is something wrong deep down. Again, what is it? That is hard to say. It's hard to define, but it is like that as he says here, deep calls to deep. There is no answer. It's like dropping a, a rock into an empty well or into a cavern, <laughs> a deep cavern, and waiting for that sound to, to echo back. And you, you drop it, and then you listen, and you even count, and you go one, two, three, until you hear the sound come back. And the deeper the hole, the longer it takes for that sound to to resound, to echo back. But when you experience depression, when you experience darkness, you feel as if your your prayers, your, your cries are like those rocks that are dropped into the deep, but there is no return sound. There is no bottom, but you feel like life itself is in a free fall, completely helpless and despair, and discouragement. That turmoil within, he says, why are you in turmoil within me? That feeling of uneasiness and not being yourself. That dark night of the soul. That death within. That cancer that is creeping throughout One reason that I am so thankful for the Psalms and I'm so thankful for this Psalm is that if that is you in the past or even in the present, this Psalm demonstrates 
by the authority of God, by his infallible word and this perfect revelation that this is not abnormal, that this isn't the outside, outside of the, the pale of faith, that if you have experienced any of these things, if you're experiencing these things, it's not as if something is wrong with you. Let me say it emphatically and clearly. Christians get depressed. In fact, I have a little booklet in my office entitled that, that Christians get depressed too. That's what it's called. Christians get depressed too. And it's a very helpful book, but it's sad that there needs to be such a title. And yet it is necessary because somehow depression has been demonized in Christian circles. It's seen as being outside the pale of faith. And what Psalm 42 would say to us is, no, no, it is not. This psalm squarely puts it within. And that is not only true of this psalm, but if you take the whole of the scripture, you see individuals that had times of struggle, times of despair, times of wondering, where is their God? Where are you, O God? You think of Elijah, the great prophets, after seeing this wonderful work of God where he defeats the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he goes off and he has to flee and you see Elijah in a cave. And the Lord has to come to him and say, what are you doing here? Why are you in this cave? Why are you in this place of, of darkness? Why are you in this place of despair? And Elijah says very honestly, I've been very jealous for you, God. For you, the, the Lord, the God of hosts, and I even, I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah was not in a good place. He was in that place of isolation, thinking he alone is the only one left that the Lord has left upon this earth. You think of John the Baptist, the one that was called to prepare the way of our Lord, the one that said this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. As he sits in prison, he sends forth a question to Jesus, saying, are you truly the one? Or do we need to seek someone else? This is the one that leaped in his mother's womb about hearing of this good news of Jesus Christ. And yet John the Baptist, as he sits in prison, wonders, is this truly the Christ? Or should we be looking for someone else? You think of the apostle Paul, the great apostle, one who was strong in his faith, strong in his theology. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 of the affliction that he and the other apostles experienced. And he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is one that's new with Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are speaking about you know, of John Bunyan, Pastor Myers mentioned Pilgrim's Progress this morning of Christian and faithful entering Doubting Castle and encountering giant despair. 
and even contemplating suicide. You think this is a a child's book. This was written for children. Is this material that should be spoken about in such books as this? But if you understand Bunyan's life, that he was imprisoned not only once, but twice, and one of those times being for 12 years, then you know that despair and doubt and suicidal ideations were not just fables, not just things that were written in books. Or in more recent times, you think of the great preacher, the 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Battled depression his entire life. He was the prince of preachers. He gave us and gives us some of the greatest gems of the gospel. I know each and every one of you have been helped out by the the writings and sermons of Charles Spurgeon. And yet once in his sermon to his congregation. He said, I am the subject of depression, of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Susanna, his wife, wrote about her husband and said, my beloved's anguish was so deep and violent that reason seemed to totter in its throne. And we sometimes feared that he would never preach again. These are giants of the faith. And yet they were stricken, they were shaken. Much like the psalmist saying, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Tonight, you might think that I'm leaving you hanging with not many answers, and perhaps I am. You might even think or leave this sermon with the thought, well, I wasn't depressed before I came, but uh, now I am. But next time, as we gather together, I hope to give some of the God-given remedies and reliefs that this psalm also presents. But I think it is right for us to, to sit with this for a time. Instead of quickly rushing to the solutions as we are so apt to do is to to get the quick fix, to get to the answer, to get to the hope, to get to the solution, I think there is wisdom at times to sit with the sorrow and the darkness and be okay with it. As I've said before and will say again, Job's friends did not do a lot right in what they did say, but what they did do, which was right, was to sit in the ashes with their friend for seven days without saying anything at all, before they ever attempted to give an answer or to give a solution. And perhaps you are one of those people that has not fully experienced what I'm talking about this night, and if that is the case, praise God, and I hope you never do, but please, please, please be careful to think that those that do experience things that are talked about in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are less than or a weaker brother or weaker sister because they experienced this. Because that is not the case. And if that was the standard, then you would also be excluding the Lord Jesus Christ as well, who was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief who had such anguish that he literally sweat droplets of blood because he was in such despair. What I want us to see from this psalm is God is greater and bigger than all our deepest and darkest moments. 
and know that if this is you, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has not left you. He has not forsaken you. That he has given you a psalm that you can express your heart and your soul in such times as this. And perhaps during times like this, he may be doing the greatest work in you when you feel it the least. But as we close tonight, let me just give you a glimmer of hope. Enough at least for you to come back again to talk about the remedy and relief at another time. But it comes from a story of Charles Spurgeon when he was just 21 years old. He was already preaching to thousands. And one Sunday morning, as they were gathered, someone yelled out, fire in the sanctuary. There was not a fire. It was a hoax. It was a prankster. But because of the ensuing panic of people trying to exit, seven people were killed and 28 were injured. And that event haunted Charles, the rest of his life, you could imagine how it would. These people that he loved dearly, that he preached to, that he poured out his soul on behalf of, says that two weeks later, he got up to preach only to apologize, saying that he regretted venturing into the pulpit that morning and telling his congregation that he was utterly unable to preach, standing in that same spot again and addressing that same congregation. He had such painful emotions that overwhelmed him that he was left speechless. And he asked the congregation to excuse him for his weakness. And he did two things. He first prayed this prayer, O Spirit of God, magnify thy strength in thy servant's weakness. And enable him to honor his Lord, even when his soul is cast down within him. A very reference to this psalm. But then he read this passage. And he, being found in the appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That was his answer for this time of despair. And it's our answer as well. If Christ was cast all the way down to the point of death. And yet was not forgotten. But was rather exalted. So too all of those in Christ. Though they be cast down to the very depths will be exalted and lifted up. And so why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these very hard and troubling emotions when we experience times in life that seem altogether overwhelming, when the deep calls to deep, when the breakers and waves have gone over us and we feel like we are drowning in a flood of emotions, Lord, we thank you that even though you may feel far off, Lord, we know that you are still present.
and that you are near. And you are the God that cannot forget us. No more than a mother could forget her nursing child, so too, Lord, you would never cast us off or forget us, your very own children. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone that may be experiencing that at this time. Anyone that would be hearing my voice, Lord, would the voice of comfort, not my voice, but the voice of the Holy Spirit be near to them, drawing them nigh unto you, that they would be reminded that in your bosom, O Lord, they are safe, that you are near, that you are the God that never leaves or never forsakes, that a bruised reed you will not break, a smoldering wick you will not snuff out. Lord, we thank you for these gospel promises, and we know that they are true because you did not forsake your son even though he went down into the depths of the earth for our sake, taking our misery and taking our sin. And yet, even from that place, he raised him up and exalted him. And that high priest now sits in the heavenly realm, interceding on our behalf, even when we have no words to utter. Thank you that he has not forgotten us there, but will remember us forever, even for all of eternity. That is our hope. We praise you for it. Amen.